What comes to mind when you think of a single mother? I know what I think of. I think of a superhero. I think of someone who is truly doing the absolute best with what they have. There's a cloud of judgment surrounding single mothers, whether they are single mothers by choice or by unfortunate circumstances out of their control. They deserve all the love and the praise. Because even in a household with two parents, raising a child is not easy. But raising three children on your own, well, that's something to be commended. Like with my guest today, Deanna Crossan. She has had a roller coaster of a journey, but her resilience, strength, and will to live has made her strive to be the best mom she can be to three beautiful girls, all on her own. This is We Need to Talk Motherhood, part four. Deanna, thank you so much for being on the show today. I am very grateful that you're taking the time to share your story. Oh, thank you for having me. Absolutely. You have, you've been through so much and you've truly come out on the other end of it, whether you feel like you have or not, you know, being able to to see it on social media and having met your oldest daughter, but not your youngest. Um, it's really remarkable what you've been through and how you've just been resilient. Um, you are a single mother of three and yes. you've experienced a wide range of situations throughout your life and your pregnancies. And I think as a whole, a lot of people tend to have a very specific view on what it means to be a single mom, right? There's like this judgment that's surrounding mm-hmm. it based on very little information and not really knowing the full story of someone's situation. So with you, I, I do want to go back a little bit to when you had your oldest daughter mm-hmm. and you were entering into single motherhood for the first time. What were your thoughts and perception of what you thought motherhood was going to be like? Okay. Uh, well, with my oldest daughter, um, I was 21. I was six months into being 21 when I got pregnant with her. Um, and the, the, her biological father, when I told him I was pregnant, he was basically like, okay, good luck with that. And Mm. um, yeah, so I knew he wasn't going to be in the picture. Um, I was raised by a single mom. Um, so Um, I knew it was hard. I've seen my mom struggle and, um, but I just, I don't know. I always, I'm one of those weird millennials who grew up always wanting to be a mother. (laughs) I I always wanted children. Um, and so when I got pregnant, I figured, okay, well, this is my chance. So I'm going to do everything I can. Um, or at least that's the thought process I had, but, um, when she was born, we didn't, I didn't bond with her immediately, mm. um, which I know a lot, of, I've learned now that a lot of uh, parents go through this, um, but it took, it took a while. Cause I still felt like a, like I was still my mom's child. And so it, it was weird that now I have this, this thing that I have to, to take care of because yeah. I'm still being taken care of by, by this other person. So, um, so um, the, I remember the first time when I did feel like I bonded with her was she was probably like 18 months old, which I know that's how old your daughter is now. I mean, she was teething really bad and I didn't have medicine for her and it was midnight and I had to be to work at five o'clock the next morning. So midnight, I'm driving down the street to the grocery store. I bought her medicine. I put her in the car. We drive back home. And when I go to take her out, I realized in my sleepy stupor, I forgot to buckle her in. I just threw her in her car seat and drove home. And then like my mind was thinking, what if we had gotten hit? And I was sobbing. (laughs) And then I got her, I gave her her medicine. She calmed down I gave her a popsicle and she's just sitting next to me eating her popsicle. And I just like, I felt like, oh, oh, this is my child. Okay. Mm. Like I, I, I knew I loved her from the beginning, but it was just like, 
like I fell just completely yeah uncontrollably in love with her at that moment I just it felt like I'm now a mom um, it was like a light a light bulb just came on yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's beautiful. It's interesting though, when you, when you talk about not buckling her in, it's kind of that, that fear automatically comes over you when you do go through like those scenarios of what could have happened. And then you realize, oh, this person is the most important person in my life. That's how much I care. So it's crazy that had to happen to to realize that, but like, I totally get that. Um, So now I want to move on because you had quite, oh man, you had quite an experience with, with your second pregnancy. And I actually remember on social media because um, uh, Deanna and I went to the same church and she was in the choir. And I remember the, a lot of the people in the congregation posting about it and asking for prayer for you. Oh, so as much as you feel that. comfortable, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, oh. yeah, I absolutely remember. So as much as you feel comfortable, I'd love for you to just talk about from when you found out you were pregnant with twins mm-hmm. to when you eventually gave birth, because there was, a, there's a, a timeline there. There's a yeah. journey in, in, in that story. So please, please share. Okay. Well, um, I, oh, there's a journey is that whole thing is a journey. So my twins dad was my old roommate. This is going to paint me terribly, but he was my old roommate in California. Like we weren't together. He was just my roommate and he was there um, and comfortable. And I had dated this guy who was abusive and just a terrible human being. And I got out of that relationship and I was feeling really, really bad about myself and down and I needed comfort. So I turned to my roommate, which resulted in twins. (laughs) And so uh, I found out I was pregnant on my birthday and, um, and I told him, and he was, he was in no shape to be a father. And, and um, so I, I knew I could not raise a ch- another child, two children in it. Cause at the time I almost thought it was one. So I could yeah. not raise two children in California. So I was trying to think of how, how I was going to move myself back up here to the Seattle area to be with my family. Um, and then we went for, but he, even though he wasn't in any position to be a father, he told me he was going to be there for me. So, mm-hmm. so we went, both of us went to my first sonogram and the doctor was like, oh, do you see what I see? And I was like, no, because her equipment was terrible. And she's like, you see this? Okay. And then you see this one. <laughs> we were both like, excuse me, what? Oh, wow. <laughs> There's two. And so. Now, are twins, do twins run in your family at all? Neither one of our families, no. Wow. No. There's talk of some great, great uncles, like who a hundred years so far ago. far removed, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, no, no twins. Um, turns out, I think it's because I'm older. So I was 33, no, 34 when mm-hmm. I got pregnant, when I got pregnant with them. So when you're older, there's a higher chance, higher of, chance of, multiple yeah. preg- of multiple. So yeah, so yay. But um. <laughs> Yeah. So the pressure to get out of California was put on because I definitely knew I could not raise three kids in Cali. So, um, hard enough raising one in California. (laughs) It is. Yeah. So I had finally, um, I'd finally made a plan and I knew exactly financially how I was going to do this. And I knew the timeline and I was feeling so good. And I told him about it. He was bummed because he thought that I would be staying down there. Um, but, but we had our cry session, um, but I felt really good. Um, and I was leaving work that day, was it October 4th, a Wednesday. Uh, and, 
I worked on Hollywood Boulevard um, at the Live Nation building and mm -hmm. across the street is the CVS. And I, as I was walking across the street to go to the parking garage, the whole world just started spinning. Like it felt like I was in a fun house or a dryer is just spinning. Oh my gosh. And I was like, what is happening? And then I just collapsed on the stairs outside of the CVS. And how far um, along were you at this point? I was only, so for I, August to October, I was like two months. Oh, wow. Two and a half. So still in the first trimester. Yeah. And um, yeah. And I collapsed and um, this is where, oh, the medical industry. So uh, I get picked up by some, uh, thankfully someone stopped to ask how I was doing, which does not happen on Hollywood Boulevard. There's right. people <laughs> sprawled out across the street all the time. Thankfully, right. someone asked if I was okay. And I said, no. And she called 911 or they, I don't know their gender, sorry. They called 911 and the, the paramedics picked me up and the paramedic told me I was having an anxiety attack. Mm. And I said, I've had those. This is not that. I've never passed out from an anxiety attack. And then he kept telling me I need to breathe because my oxygen level was really low. And it's like, well, that's also never happened. I don't know what's happening. And so he took me to the, he still didn't believe me, took me to the ER, told them I was there for anxiety. It took them four hours to finally run some tests. And the only reason they ran tests is because I tried to go to the bathroom and my daughter who was um, 11 at the time was, was being my crutch. And on the way back, I couldn't walk anymore. And I was mm. falling on her and uh, a nurse saw me and he had to carry me and I'm a large woman, but this man had to carry me to my chair. And he told the ER doctor, something is seriously wrong with this person. So they ran the test and they told me that, um, that my numbers for an embolism were sky high. He said, I probably have blood clot, a blood clot in my lung. And so they did the x-rays and I had two massive blood clots, one in each lung and then several small, my lungs were just filled with blood clots. That's how the doctor put it. Um, and I asked him, I said, am I going to die? And he said, we're going to do everything we can to make sure that doesn't happen. And I was like, that is not the answer I wanted. Right. <laughs> it's just supposed to be no. Right. Um, yeah. So I went to the ICU and, um, and yeah, the, another doctor, I, I don't even know who all the doctors were. It was stupid. I was in a lot of pain. I couldn't breathe and just, it was, it was kind of a nightmare. Um, but the doctor wanted to terminate the pregnancy because um, he said it'd be easier to uh, to to fix this if 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 I wasn't pregnant. And I said, well, are there other options? Because that was that just point, his first option. Yeah, and and wow. my mind, I was I'm I'm pro choice, yay! Uh, but I had already named the the the, the little cells and I have yeah. pictured a life with with my children and so I didn't want to do that I, I said I would be very very sad if I had to do this and so the doctor said there are other options we will go that route but if you lose consciousness we are going to terminate so I was like okay well that's scary okay so um, thankfully the other options worked um, they put me on heparin and um, I started to get better I was only I was in the ICU for three days and then I went to a regular room for, for, um, uh, five more days. Um, I had to relearn how to walk because I didn't know that if you lay in a bed for three days, your legs just stop working. Wow. Um, so that was interesting, but yeah, so, but I couldn't function. Um, uh, my work story is a whole different, oh, so that I emailed my boss while I was in the ICU, letting her know I was dying. And her response was, um, I hope you feel better. Do you think you'll be to work on Monday? Like, no, oh <laughs> no, lady. So 
but I couldn't work. I like, I could not work. Right. I couldn't, I could barely walk. I couldn't walk more than like 10 feet without needing to stop and rest and catch my breath. So my mom ended up coming down while I was in, in the ICU and um, we made the decision. She's going to take care of my daughter. Cause I can't, I can't get her to school. I can't help her with anything. And I felt defeated. I just felt, I felt so broken. Like mm. my only job is to make sure she is taken care of. And now I can't do that. And um, yeah, and so she moved, uh, my daughter and her moved up a couple of days after I got out of the hospital and I didn't know when I was going to see my daughter again. And I, that did not sit well with me. I just, right. my, my child became my whole life. I got made fun of um, by my best friend. She told me like all, I, so many pictures of her. She's like, your house is a shrine to your child. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> I know, but she's the best, um, yeah. you know. Um, but thankfully it's only two weeks and I was, ended up moving back and my mom took, I was back to being that 22 year old. My mom <laughs> took care of me <laughs> again. Mom's while, always come through. Yeah. Yeah. Well, helping. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then I, the pregnancy was high risk, um, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so, which I also learned that not every doctor takes high risk pregnancies because I had to call several places before I was able to find an OBGYN up here. Um, but I got into a really, really good place, um, thankfully, because after they were born, so I went through the pregnancy, um, they, no other major hiccups. Um, they Thank came God, early. Yeah. yeah. They came early and they were born, um, they, they were born not breathing, which was great, but uh, not, not really, but they, they were only in the NICU for a couple of hours. They, by the time my mom went from my room to their room, they had started, started crying. So. And how early were they born? Um, they were only, um, uh, I think they were only a month early. Yeah. Um, or or like six weeks. I think they were six weeks wow. early. They were four wow. pounds when they were born. Um, so these tiny little, yeah. tiny little, little things. Um, yeah. And then after they were, so I had to have a C-section or I didn't have to, we, my medical team and I decided on a C-section because I was taking blood thinners. Mm-hmm. And so I had to stop taking them at a certain point to make sure I didn't bleed out while I was getting my surgery or cause childbirth is very bloody. Um, so while I was having, so, so we decided a C-section would be the best option, um, to prevent internal bleeding. Uh, but then that didn't work. (laughs) I still, um, after they were born, um, I went to their two day, uh, checkup, their dad ended up coming up to, you know, to meet his children and to help me out a little bit. And, um, at their two day checkup, I could barely walk. And the nurse there was like, are you okay? And I thought, well, I just had surgery. Of course I don't, of course I'm in a little pain. Um, and then two days later, I'm trying to sit up in my bed and I can't, I just can't it hurt. And I thought, well, maybe I have to go to the bathroom. So I tried to stand up and I just collapsed back on the bed. It was the most pain, even more mm-hmm. painful than the contractions. It was, it was just a nightmare. So another ambulance ride and they find out that I have a like softball size pool of blood between my uterus and my bladder, which are supposed to be touching. <laughs> it's not supposed to be a softball size oh thing. And gosh. then my kidneys had stopped working. So <laughs> I'm, I just was like, okay, well, okay, what next? So, um, yeah, so I was, I had to have emergency surgery and then I was in the hospital again for another week. Um, missed, you know, the first week of the twins life and my daughter went to 
this is so trivial, but she went to sixth grade camp, which in my town is a huge deal. It's like a big milestone and I had to miss it. I couldn't send her off because I'm in the hospital again. And it just, it seemed like it was too much. And then, um, yeah. And then when I got out of the hospital, they put me on different blood thinners um, on warfarin, which you can't take while you're pregnant. I misunderstood the directions and I ended up taking way too much. And if you don't know, warfarin is actually rat poison that mm. works to, um, to thin your, thin your blood out. Um, and so if you take too much, you're going to kill yourself. And so you have to be monitored. Uh, you have to get your blood tested like weekly. And, um, the, 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 my, uh, range was supposed to be, be between one and two. And when I first got it tested, it was at 23. Oh so, my gosh. Back in the hospital again. <laughs> so it's just the first like few months of their, like from getting pregnant to the first few months of their lives. It was just me in and out of hospitals. And it was just, it's, I'm laughing now because I made it through, but you really did. Wow. Then it was, yeah. Oh, it was just, it was a mess, but I we're all better I, now. There's so much going through my head right now, but there's a couple of things. One, when you first collapsed on Hollywood mm. Boulevard mm-hmm. and you're pregnant mm-hmm. and as a single mom, your probably immediate thought was who's going to take care of my, my daughter if something happens yes. to me, right? Yes. And then as a black woman, you have to deal with kind of a level of medical negligence. And I think that that's something that people don't realize is a huge issue in the medical industry, specifically with black women not being Mm -hmm. listened to. We know our bodies. We know when something's wrong, but the amount of negligence that I have heard from black women, it's specifically even, I will say pregnant black women. Mm -hmm. It's, it's really mind boggling to me. So one, I'm glad that you also stood up for yourself and were saying like, no, this isn't an anxiety attack. I've had Mm -hmm. that before, like something's wrong, right? But what a shame on this country and and the level of medical knowledge that we have to still be in a place where we are taking four hours Mm -hmm. to get people the tests that they need to make sure that they're okay. Because that could have been crucial time. Like, thank God that you survived and you made it through. But imagine if you hadn't, that is medical negligence, right? Mm -hmm. And so for you, your experience in the hospital as a black woman, I mean, you can talk a little bit about that. I mean, you shared a lot of that story, but just in general, did you feel not listened to? Oh yeah. Cause I kept um, going up to the, okay. So first the hospital I went to, I'm I'm not going to say its name, but it's like the worst hospital in LA. Mm. Um, there was only one ER doctor, which I get he was overworked, which is just a problem in itself. Yeah. But I went up to the nurse's station and I was saying, my chest hurts. Like it hurts so bad. I cannot breathe. Is there someone who can help me? And the nurse barely looked at me and was very irritated. She's like, someone will get to you. Okay. I can't breathe. And my chest hurts. Okay. I guess I'll just go sit back over here in this corner Wow. Uh, wow. Then, yeah. And the, the doctor was also testy because I did ask him before. I said, um, I said, is there, are, are you going to get to me? And he was like, he was like, do you see all these other people? I have to get to them too. But then as soon as he found out it was, it was pulmonary embolisms, he got very sweet and very soft-spoken and, mm. you know, <laughs> cared. But yeah. before he knew it was an emergency, he was just, I was just someone there that he had to deal with. Right. And Yeah. 
which that attitude is so it's so confusing to me because why do you get into the medical industry if you're not like anxious to help people if that's not you're like oh something's wrong you're hurting let me figure out let me see how I can like that's the whole point of becoming a doctor is because you want to help and to serve others so yeah I I mean I've definitely had that and it's been my mission now to only have specifically women of color doctors Mm -hmm. that has been it is (laughs) they're few and far between unfortunately but I will drive an hour if I have to (laughs) yeah I know my my OBGYN is is an incredible black woman she's about 45 minutes away but it's worth the drive to me knowing that I'm going to be connecting with somebody that will care about my needs and and how I feel and will listen to me. It's just, it's a shame and it really frustrates me and it upsets me the more I hear these stories because mm-hmm. I think Black women above anybody else are the least listened to in medical oh, situations. Definitely, yeah. Yeah. Not even just medical situations, just yeah, in life. It, it, that's, yeah, but that's another <laughs> podcast, right? Yeah. <laughs> so you, you had mentioned before, though, that you were raised by a single mother. So I would love mm-hmm. to know, what do you feel that you learned from your mom that has made you a successful single mom? Oh, everything. Um, well, okay, so my mom and I have different, like, approaches to things. But something that she, that I think I got from her um, is she doesn't, she didn't give up time sometimes got very tough for us. Um, I remember once she had this really great job in Seattle and then, um, she got laid off one day, just the job didn't exist anymore. And that could have broken her. Um, she could have spiraled. We could have just, we could have been living on the street or something, but no, she, she did what she, she ended up getting like a bunch of part-time jobs to make sure we had a roof over our head. Um, and we didn't have a whole lot of money, but we always had Christmas presents. You know, we always got at least one new outfit for school, um, that sort of thing. So making sure that even though life is hard and she's, you know, you've got your own stuff going on as an adult human, making sure your children feel like they're a priority. Like I've yeah. never had to question whether or not my mom loved me or, or if I had something, um, that if, if I needed her, I know my mom was going to be there. Um, just like in Cal, when I was in sick in California, I, I knew my mom was going to come down. As soon as I was in the yeah. ICU, I was like, my mom's going to be here tomorrow. And yeah. she was. <laughs> so, yeah. I love that. So now you as a mom, what values or morals or lessons are you trying to instill into your children? Um, well, I'm trying to break a lot of stuff that the older generation beat into me. Um, is with regard to like image and um uh so self-worth um so like my mom is great she's not very good at like comforting <laughs> or mm. um you know I've I've been a large black woman or I was a large black child in a mostly white area so I've never really seen myself as like you know physically attractive and, and things like that and I want my children to know one that um being the black that you are, because my twins, um, you've seen their pictures, they're very white looking. Um, But I want them to know that all of you are strong black women. And and I want them to feel beautiful. But I'm also trying to instill that that's not what's important. (laughs) Mm. Like, Mm. you are, they are smart, they are, they are survivors, you know, they're fighters. And, and I want to build that up in them. Um, I want them to know that finding a husband is not the end goal because that's that's what I was taught. Um, And I'm also 
just trying to make them good people um, to recognize, try to find the good in other people and, um, um, and just try their best to make sure that they make other people feel welcome and feel um, listened to and appreciated. Um, I don't know how good of a job I'm, I'm, I'm doing, sure you're doing the great, but, but those are all trying. beautiful things. And I, and I agree with you. I think those are the important things to, to, mm-hmm. to teach children because yeah, like when you focus on um, image, it just, you can, it can get so difficult, especially because they're growing up in an age where social media is like at a peak, right? So they're going to mm-hmm. be exposed to that. And that's going to be one of those worries. And that's the same thing with my daughter too. It's like, I don't want that to be your focus because it shouldn't be. It's not what's going to get you ahead in life, so to speak, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. So over your entire journey, which has been quite a roller coaster, what do you feel that you've learned about yourself? Um. Oh, that, uh, that no one's going to come save me. So I have to put in the work to make sure I succeed. Mm. So, um, yeah, there's no knight in shining armor coming. <laughs> so you're your had, own knight in shining armor. Yeah, yeah I've had yeah, to, I've had yeah. to be. So like, I'm, I have to like, right now I'm going to school, um, so I can get better even though I have a I, I lucked into a really great job but I know that I can do more so um so I'm going to school so I can further my career um and I'm yeah just knowing that I can rely on myself if I put the work in yeah <laughs> but, of but don't let things consume me and and I yeah and raising three kids mm. how do you find time for yourself Oh, I don't, I really, I tried to carve out like at least a half an hour at night so I can watch a, a program. Yeah. Something. Hey, uh, that's, that's probably the most glorious 30 minutes, right? Yes. <laughs> that's important. And I know it's difficult, especially because how old are your little ones now? They're three. Yeah. And the oldest so they're is like 15. Peak. Yeah. So teenager and then like peak, like toddler, toddler. right? Yeah. So it's yeah. definitely difficult. But even if it's just 10 minutes or even just like a trip to the bathroom, I'm sure. Like, yeah. Try to take just those few minutes for yourself because your self-care is important <laughs> because you got to be whole in order to take care of them. Right. And I think yes. that's one thing just mothers in general sometimes forget that if you are not in a good place, then there's no way that you're going to be in a good place to take care of somebody else if you're not taken care of. So yeah. th- that 30 minute program, <laughs> I'm glad that you, you try to find time to do that. So now, you know, you were at home, I'm sure during this pandemic with three kids. What was that experience like? Um, It was really tough at the beginning. Um, My 15 year old, she didn't, she didn't adjust well to the change. She just, you know, like a lot of people, she just yeah. lost the motivation for schoolwork. And, and then the twins didn't know anything was different. They just knew they were home all the time. And mom was home all the time. They get to run around and be loud. And, <laughs> um, but yeah, thankfully the daycare reopened <laughs> and I got to put the girls back in daycare so they can get some socialization and, Good. um, learn because I'm a terrible, terrible teacher as one of my things. I know it's my, a weakness of mine. Um, so that they can get some knowledge, learn their ABCs and stuff. Um, but the 15 year old after, after a few months, when she started her, the next school year, which was ninth grade. So she was supposed to be her first year of high school. Mm -hmm. She really took to the, since, um, 
online learning, the teachers had time to, you know, develop plans and stuff. She, she took to it. So she thrived last year after that. Um, we learned, we started, uh, my 15 year old started having like date nights where we would, um, paint, um, poorly, but, you know, paint or bake some stuff. Um, yeah, we, you know, the normal pandemic stuff, we baked a lot of bread (laughs) and, um, we baked bread too. That was like a fun <laughs> thing to do, but it was something to do. It was something yeah. to do. <laughs> yeah, so. I love that. You were being creative because you had to be, right? Especially yeah. with a 15-year-old. I feel like, and you're giving me a little glimpse into what my future will be like, <laughs> but I feel like that's probably a really tough age to just be stuck at home all the time. Yeah. I'm now, we're now at a point where she, she's back in school full time and she's asking to go back. She's asking to be homeschooled and I'm, I don't know. I'm on the fence about that mm-hmm. because I want her to, I I think she's retreating. <laughs> so oh. I think getting back to people is, is overwhelming. And I'm like, Oh, but, but there's other people, yeah. peers. <laughs> That's interesting. I, I wouldn't even consider that, but I could see why that yeah. might be a tough transition. I mean, yeah, at that age, those are like those formative years where yeah. you are doing socialization and you're, you're learning more about yourself. I mean, being a teenager, mm-hmm. teenager, like, that's that's the stuff that you remember and what kind of yeah. shapes you as you get older. So I get that. But tell her to hang on. Tell her to I hang will. on. It's going to be OK. Um, well, I think you're doing an incredible job. And I would Thank love you. to ask you, what do you feel your greatest strength as a mother is? Um, well, hokey, my love for my children, I guess. Because uh, hey. that drives That's great. <laughs> that drives everything that drives me wanting to you know a little be a better cook once and do better in school um like actually go to work <laughs> you know the, those things all because i i love my kids and i want them to i want them to have a good life yeah and yeah I'm trying, <laughs> trying. No, my best. hey, you put them above anything, and you are mm. proof that you are a strong, independent woman who don't need no man. So <laughs> I'm, I'm proud of you, and thank you so much for just sharing your story and being willing to be vulnerable. And resilience is a huge thing that I talk about, and you are the epitome of that. All right, so Diana, thank you so much again, and to the listeners, make sure you subscribe and share, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Bye.